Hello, everyone. Welcome to C-Suite Talks, a podcast that takes you inside some of the most interesting businesses and industries today. We explore career success and how we can make a difference. We invite you to join us on this journey. Welcome to C-Suite Talks. I'm Beth Bilbing, co-CEO of C-Suite. And I'm Diane Gubin, co-CEO with Beth. And this week, we are so excited and happy to speak with Dr. Tina Sessions. Tina is an award-winning consultant, an international speaker, an executive-level coach, a best-selling author, a recognized inclusion, diversity, and multi-generational thought leader, and a media contributor. Welcome today. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and spend this time with you. Yes, and thank you for uh, supporting C-Suite at other events in the past. We really appreciate that. Yes, yes. Tell us about what you do. Like we know, but tell our audience, what do you do? <laughs> um, well, you know, with 30 years of, over 30 years now of HR experience, I was able to leave corporate America back in 2015 and start my own consulting company. And so as a consultant, I go in and I help organizations either assess their culture, if they're looking to do some sort of transformation there, or look at the look at the organization uh, through the lens of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And so that could be anything from uh, doing assessments to hosting town halls or listening sessions or conducting trainings or helping to actually identify and build out a true DEIB strategy. You must be called all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Especially today, we need a lot of help. Especially today. And, you know, the whole concept of belonging is is newer. So for anybody who's not familiar with DEI and B, what does the B stand for? Yeah, the belonging piece. I tell people that's the longest end of the journey because that's really when you have an organization that has a psychologically safe workplace. Individuals feel that they can come in and be their true authentic selves without the risk of retaliation or humiliation or not feeling like they're included. And, um, you know, the barriers have been removed for opportunities, um, whether it's career opportunities, mentorships, um, you know, ongoing education, like all of those types of things that people, you know, want and expect from their organizations, leadership development, like all of that, uh, where every single employee feels like they have the same opportunities. That is so beautiful. And so needed in today's. Yes. Yes. What led you to this line of work? Kind of tell us about your background and how you got where you are today? Yeah, so thinking back again through my career in HR, so I've been in every position you can imagine in HR. I started out as an assistant, uh, a secretary actually back in the day, uh, to the director (laughs) of personnel, which is probably another word people haven't heard in a while. And, um, you know, she saw something in me. And and as a result of her mentorship, I was able to really start to grow and foster an interest in a career in human resources. And so my last 10 years in HR and corporate, I was the head of HR for different organizations. So I was the top executive sitting around the table with the other C-suite members. Oftentimes I was either the only woman or the only woman of color or the only person of color in that room. Um, and it really get got, uh, it really allowed me to have an opportunity to see how executives think about talent, um, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, but being able to be in a room and have those conversations with them uh, and hold them accountable in ways that they hadn't before challenged them as well in ways. And so now as a consultant, you know, they seek me out to come in and do that for them. Uh, in addition to oftentimes HR is my partner or I'm working directly with the with the executive team or the CEO, which has been great. Um, again, just to understand, help them understand where the gaps are. And sometimes they're surprised 
You know, they're surprised. They're like, wow, I didn't know that was what the employees were experiencing or when did the culture change when I started this business or when I came, it wasn't like this, you know, those types of things. Uh, So really having a a safe space for them to have their own, um, you know, honest conversations and ask those awkward, uncomfortable questions in a way that, you know, helps them become better leaders. So most most of your clients, are they, or the people who, the companies that call you, are they Fortune 1000? Are they middle market companies? Like what type of organization seeks you out? It's across the board. Um, You know, whether it's smaller companies, I work with a company right now that has, you know, 45 employees. Um, And then I work with companies that have 5,000 employees. So it's across the board, it's different industries. It's really interesting how people find me. So either they're doing a search and they're looking for like a culture consultant or a diversity consultant, or someone in their organization follows me on LinkedIn where I'm very active and, you know, they'll refer me. Or clients that I've worked with in the past will tell individuals, you know, within their network about the work that was being done there or the success that they've had, and then they refer me. So it's really been a good way to have exposure to clients that ordinarily probably would never touch. And I also work with federal and state agencies and municipalities. So really, again, across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually follow Dr. Tana and um, she's very active, especially on the weekends. So join her. Right. And so Dr. Tana, so you wrote a book and your book is Working While Black, A Woman's Guide to Stop Being the Best Kept Secret. Yeah. <laughs> Tell yeah. us a- about the book. That one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was challenged to write this book by Dr. Lois Frankel. And anyone who knows her who wrote the book, Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office, that's a New York Times bestseller. She also had a follow-up book that was a New York Times bestseller. Um, so I sat on the board for her nonprofit a few years back. And she said, Tana, you know, one of the things that oftentimes happens when I go out and do speaking engagements is I will have Black or women of color come and ask me for advice. And she said, I can refer them to what's in my book because that's based on my own personal experience as a white woman navigating corporate America. But I don't know what it's like to be a black woman navigating corporate America. I'm sure it's very different. And so she and I had some really good, honest conversations about what that was like. And she said, you need to write the book. Fabulous. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So I wrote the book just based on my personal experience. Initially, that was my, my goal. And then I realized that I would be remiss if I didn't bring in the voices of some other Black women in my network because we talk about these things over coffee or drinks, you know, uh, on the phone or in person, you know, during quarantine to say, hey, this is what I've experienced. Have you experienced this as well? How do you navigate it? And sometimes you think you're the only one that's going through this because you're the only one that looks like you in that situation. So I was able to include stories from other women, um, including Swati Mandela. So she's the granddaughter of Winnie and Nelson Mandela in South Africa. And I wanted to get a global perspective to find out what is it like for other Black women outside of the U.S. in terms of their experiences in corporate America. And surprisingly enough, there wasn't that much of a difference. Um, mm. So to include her story as well. So so then um, stop being the best kept secret. So, so can you give us a crib note on that? <laughs> yeah. So not only did we share our stories, but we also share strategies on what we use to navigate through some of these difficult situations or what we would advise others who are going through it looking back hindsight 2020. And so we put them in these buckets and I have a whole coaching program called Stop Being the Best Kept Secret. And within that, I 
uh, work with people to help them identify how to own their power, their truth, their healing, their worth, and ultimately their destiny. And so we were able to put our advice within those different buckets. So that way, when people walk away from it, it really is a guide. It's not just an anthology of stories that's in there, but we didn't want to leave it there. We wanted to leave it with, and here are the things that we use. Here's how we were able to take our power back. Here's how we heal through these situations and we're able to move on. And it's different individuals within corporate America, as well as business owners that um, who share their stories. Thank, thank you. That's for that. wonderful. Yeah. And looking at your website, you, you know what? You talk about microaggressions. Can you just tell us a little bit? Because certainly we've all experienced microaggressions. And some examples you're seeing. With yeah. Yeah. Like, like define a microaggression just for everybody. So we have a base. And then how do you deal with it? Sure. Well, not only have we probably all experienced it, um, by the way, women are almost 65% more likely to experience microaggressions than men, um, but we probably cause them as well. You know, I tell everyone, no one's exempt from it. We don't wake up with bad intentions, um, but we may say or do something that just makes someone feel different. And that's based on usually an attitude or a stereotype. And so it's these subtle uh, unintentional things that we may say, do, or ask of someone that we don't necessarily know well. And we may think, oh, I'm just trying to get to know you, or I'm culturally curious, or I thought this was a compliment. And for that person, I tell people it's like those uh, paper cuts, you know, and, and I've had people say, Dr. Seth, oh, yeah. it's like death by a thousand cuts because you have this thing happen or said to you over and over and over again by multiple people, sometimes by the same person. And as a result, they don't realize that they're making you feel othered. And, and that's what happens. Like we, we make people feel that they're other than. Wow. Yeah, what I have to do with that type of um, envi- environment is just, I just ignore them. I don't respond. I just ignore it, which doesn't really do anything, right? Because right. it's still yeah. hurtful. So is is that the, is that how you would handle that? No, it it depends. You know, I give people like I do a whole training on microaggressions and I tell them, you know, there's there's three ways to handle it when it happens to you. One is to ignore it because maybe you just don't feel like dealing with it. You're exhausted. It happens all the time. You don't think it's a big deal or you don't want to make a a big deal. You don't want to make that person feel guilty or uncomfortable. That's one way. Another way is, okay, I have a relationship with you. So when you told me I'm so articulate, I want to tell you how that makes me feel. Um, You know, would you have said it if I was a white woman? Uh, Probably not. Okay, let's talk about that. Right now we're having a conversation so you can understand how that wasn't a compliment for me. Now, does that mean it's not a compliment for every black woman or every black person? No, not necessarily. And I have many who have said, hey, I like it because it, it acknowledges the work that I've done in my profession and my education and how I communicate. Perfect. Right. It's not a one size fits all. And then the third way to handle it is if you're not in a relationship with that person, you feel comfortable or it's a manager or a senior leader where you don't feel that, um, you know, if I say something, my goodness, my job might be impacted. Then find someone who you can see as an ally who has that relationship with them and say, hey, look, you know, when Tana said this to me, it really made me feel awkward. It made me feel uncomfortable. I want to let her know. But. I don't have the type of relationship. Would you mind helping me facilitate a conversation? I don't want them to feel, you know, offended or feel that um, they're a bad person. But I just need to let them know so that they don't say it again. That's Ooh. a really good way to Ooh, that's that. That's uh, so challenging. But I'm going to kind of switch gears on you. Yeah, yeah. As you've gone through your history with HR and over the years, what have you seen as some major changes. I know as we've interviewed various groups, like we inter- interviewed the chief people officer for Playboy. Nope. They have, <laughs> they, they have a fly on the wall on that interview. 
exactly. She's fabulous. Yeah. Uh, they introduced uh, in their healthcare realm uh, reproductive insurance and all this. So that was new to me. But so what are the, some of the changes you've seen? Well, definitely, I would say over the last two years, HR has come to the forefront in ways that I've never seen before. I've been so proud to be a part of this profession and to see how HR professionals have really been able to lead organizations through the pandemic, through uh, racial protesting and social justice issues. Um, You know, now with us thinking about how will Roe v. Wade impact employees, so really getting ahead of that and, you know, reviewing their benefits and make sure who's covered, who's not, how can we fill a void or the gap and protect our employees, Um, you know, communicating uh, public statements in ways that, again, we had never done before. So I'm really proud of how we've really risen to the occasion. I think some of the things I've seen over the last, I would say, two years in particular is really visiting, revisiting rather, policies and procedures and uh, benefits to make sure that they truly are inclusive, uh, educating staff on inclusive languaging, um, being uh, understanding pronouns and gender identity, like all of these things, again, that we've never, ever talked about before, never had to really, um, that we are now doing. And the fact that HR is taking um, taking a lead in that, I think has been important. It's given them a seat at the table like they've never had before. Uh, CEOs have been proactively reaching out to HR versus reactively to say, hey, walk this walk with me, help guide me, help me understand what I don't see here and how do we protect our employees? So those are things I've seen and I hope that continues. Uh, not, not this social crisis that we've been dealing with, but down the respect and the relationships that HR has um, throughout the entire organization. And I think privacy is a huge issue now too. I, I didn't even think of that, but I was next to an HR executive and she was saying, you know, now they have to disclose what they're, you know, if they're crossing state lines to have a procedure and so forth, which is really sad. I know. Yeah. And, I've had yeah, and that's not, I know it's so, it's such a private thing too, to have to tell yeah. everybody, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a tricky yeah. situation, right? So if the if they can't have that relationship directly with their benefits provider, then the next person they will have to talk to is HR. And then how does HR navigate that conversation with management to A, keep the employee situation private, but also let them know your employee is going to be out for a week? Oh, why? I can't share that with you. Well, automatically, they're probably going to figure it out, right? Because they're like, okay, they can tell me everything else, but not this. What's going on? And then, yeah, it's it's... Um, you know, people's opinions are so divided right now about this, that it's, it's, it's a tight rope for HR to have to walk and to have to be that involved in their employees' personal and private situation, especially as it relates to healthcare. Um, that, yeah, I, I, I don't envy them right now. No, yeah, I, I don't, don't either. Because you want to, you want to, HR is hired on behalf of management, but it's human resources. So you're supposed to help your employees. So you're right. So Dr. Cannon, I know over the years, I've heard a lot of comments about um, HR's really not here for the employees. They're here for the executives. Right, right. Can you address that? Because I've been an executive, so I know that's not, they, they have to straddle that line. So the right ones know how to do it, right? I'm not going to sit here and say that every single HR professional knows how to balance that scale for themselves and how they show up for employees versus executives. Um, Because I've had experiences with other HR professionals, you know, as an employee and even as a peer or colleague. And I was like, that's not how I would have handled this. And here's why. Um, So I think the right ones are really understanding that they have to truly be 
strategic business partners for the entire organization, but they also have to protect the organization but they also have to protect the employees, right? So again, it's that balance, right? Depending on the situation, one part of that balance, that scale is going to tilt, right? So yes, the first and foremost thing is to protect the company. And by that, it means protect them from risk of litigation, protect them from risk of a wrong hire, like all of those things they have to think about in real time and make some tough decisions. But the good thing about HR, I think people miss out on this is that, it's not our job to hire a fire either. We're there truly as an advisor. And so we can advise an employee or we can advise an executive on what we think is the right choice based on all of the information that we know from a legal standpoint, all of the information we know holistically about things that have occurred within the organization and say, hey, this is what I think is the best course of action here. At the end of the day, the manager's gonna make their own call and then we have to support them with that. So that's what I think people have to understand as well. Perfect. That's a perfect example. So I'm going to shift gears again because okay. uh, I'm very interested in this topic um, because, you know, I just recently was on vacation and as I went into restaurants and I went to stores or whatever, there was no staff. They were all half. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> and I went into a Dunkin' Donuts and there were two young ladies back there with 20 people waiting in the lobby. I felt so bad. And three people had called in sick. Oh, so with the great reshuffle or the great resignation, as they say, and during the pandemic, the service industry folks found other work or are doing whatever they're doing. How does the organization handle that? And how do you see the future playing out? So I would be remiss if I don't make this point. And I think this is something a lot of people have overlooked. We lost over a million people because of COVID. That's a significant amount of the workforce. People's employees, people's coworkers have died because of COVID. That left a gap. Then we had uh, individuals that were boomers or older Gen, uh, Gen Xers that decided to do early retirement, right? They didn't want to have to go back into the workplace. They didn't feel safe because of underlying health conditions or those of family members that they live with. And so they took early retirement. So that was another wave that left. And then, yes, we had the younger Gen Xers and Gen Y and Gen Z that said, screw this place. I'm done with you. I don't want to go back. <laughs> By the way, I didn't like you anyway. And now <laughs> I'm home, I have more time to think about what I'm passionate about or, you know, what really drives me, what motivates me. And so many of them decided I'm going to start my own business. A lot of new entrepreneurs came out of 2020, 2021, and still to this day. And then we had the others that said, I'm going to look for a new opportunity. I don't think employers are going to be able to stop this shuffle, this, you know, moving around and navigating, even within what they're considering to be a recession, um, because employees feel much more empowered now than ever before. And they also realize that there are opportunities out here that will pay them more, give them higher title, higher, higher salaries, um, that will allow them to have the flexibility that they want. Many of them want to continue to work from home, either full-time or at some point, you know, three days, two days, those types of things. And for organizations that can wrap their head around the fact that they really need to start thinking about their organization differently. They need to look at it through the lens of flexibility. They need to look at it through the lens of the culture you had in 2019 is no more. So worrying about, oh, we're losing our culture because the employees aren't in the office and they don't know each other, create a new culture. That's what I'm telling all my clients. You have to create a new culture. That is long gone now. Just like you know what we experienced when the millennials came in and we had to take down cubicle walls, that went away. So this is the new workforce and this is the new way of work. 
Right. But you know what? Only an executive search and a staffing agency, I still see the same disconnect where there's a lot of people looking for work and employers are so picky, picky, picky that they have to have this exact skill set or they're not going to get hired. They won't cross train coming in the door. They won't they they won't go hi, you're three quarters there, but you could learn that other quarter. I still see that as a major disconnect that has not gone away. I, I don't see, yes, there's this whole great resignation, but I also don't see companies being more flexible in their hiring. Yep, totally agree with you. Yeah. I have to talk a lot of my clients off that ledge when they are so, 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 so picky. I'm like, look, if they have 75% of what you're looking for, the rest is trainable, you know? And, and luckily I've had them review their job descriptions to look for, is there any bias in here? Does this person really have to have a degree? You know, is this just something that's been, you know, legacy where you feel like, oh, we need to put a degree in here. Well, guess what? You're leaving out a whole pool possibly of talented people. And also have them think differently about cultural fit and think more so about cultural ad. And I think now they're starting to kind of connect those dots, but not every company is there yet. I agree with you. Right, right. And I think budgets are still so tight right now so that a hiring manager does want that exact, exact fit because they only have that one little bit of budget to to work with. Yeah. And I, I know that companies struggle too. Yeah. Hire someone, all the processes and paperwork and everything that's needed to get them in the door takes a huge amount of time. And what's happening now because of the shuffle and everything, we see this is that because it's taking a month or two to onboard them, they find it gone. (laughs) They're gone. So they're, you know, they are struggling with all that bureaucracy that they go through too, that the companies put on. So For, yeah. for sure, for sure. So, um, so let me ask you: When uh, a company says, "You know, we're already diverse, <laughs> we don't need diversity training," what, what do you say to them? And they're all all Asian males at the top. <laughs> the, the, yeah, they're, they're all they're all yeah. <laughs> they all yeah. look the same in whatever that genre is. Right? Whatever that genre is, yeah. 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 So first, I'll ask them to define diversity to me because I need to know what their understanding <laughs> is of it, or what what is representative to them in their mind of what diversity is. And if I go around the room and ask every single executive, I'm going to get a different answer. And then I do ask them to tell me what their leadership team looks like. So I want to see their demographics. I was like, great, now show me your demographics, right? And let's let's see what it looks like. So sometimes you put numbers in front of them. They're like, oh, well, maybe we're not as diverse as I thought we were. Yeah, because you have a very limited view of the organization, right? And usually the entry-level roles or the more junior roles, that's where I see a lot of diversity. And then when we start going up the rung, we don't see it so much. It starts to really get thin. And that's based on, you know, race, gender, um, how they identify, like all of these different things. And I think that's where the conversation has to start. And then by the time you get to the board. (laughs) That's true. So yeah, yeah, you know, sometimes they think they're diverse because yeah, if it's, you know, all white leadership team and they have a couple of women. They're like, we're the burst. I'm like, yeah, are you really? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, you know what? This is a really good time to um, put in a little plug for C-suite. You know, we do have a job board <laughs> that uh, features executive level positions for women. And, you know, part of it is, you know, we need we need candidates to put their stuff in the job board. So, you know, if someone's looking their for resumes. a job and listening right. to this, put your resume in our job board, C-suite jobs. Right. That, that was the plug. Okay. So co- coming, coming back to you, Dr. Tana. So what, what's the takeaway you have for companies who are interested in maybe developing initiatives or changing the programs that they have around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? Well, the first thing I would say is it's great that they have this as a focus, and I hope this continues, right? I hope it doesn't fade away with the next news cycle or different priorities or whatever the case may be. It needs to be part of their strategy and DNA from now on. 
The second thing I would say is talk to your employees. So I like to hear directly from the employees through an assessment of what's working and what's not as it relates to diversity, because what they may think at the executive level is working or where they're knocking it out of the park. By the time they hear it back from their employees, they realize that there's a huge gap between what they believe is working and what the employees' lived experiences are. So that's one of the things I would say is talk to your employees through some format and find out from them what is their lived experience within that organization through the lens of DEIB, and then develop your strategy and a communication um, uh, you know, cadence to really talk them through what you're doing, why you're doing it, and then if there's stuff you can't do, explain that as well. It sounds like you have another book in you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Tana Sessions, we really appreciate having you here today. Tell us what your website is. Yes, it's tanamsession.com. So T-A-N-A-M-S-E-S-S-I-O-N.com. And your book? Yes, Working Well Black, A Woman's Guide to Stop Being the Best Kept Secret is available on all platforms, including Amazon, Walmart, Target, uh, what is it? Uh, what's the other one? Barnes and Noble, my <laughs> website. You, you, you Google it, you'll find it. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much today. And, and thank you for listening to our listeners. Yeah, and we want to thank our sponsors, Google, RSM, a nationwide accounting firm, Manette, a national law firm as well, and IPG, Interpublic Group, it's a media company. And then Amplified Professional Services, which is an IT consulting and executive search firm. So thank you for listening and hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere you find your podcast. Leave us a review, of course, five stars. Follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. We love hearing from you. Send us an email at media at csweet.org, C-S-W-E-E-T.org. And uh, check out our website as well. And we appreciate having you as a listener. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.